Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome along to Monday's Football Digest Daily with me, Ned Keaton. I'm joined this morning by Felix Parkin and Flanagan. In terms of the Premier League, boys, we've had such a great weekend. That's what we're here to review. Uh, yesterday's game, Liverpool against Man City. I think I said about 16 times on Friday's pod about it. It's a game that gets the juices flowing. That might have been my slightly hungover state. I'm not entirely sure. But it really was, wasn't it, in the end, Felix? It lived up to all the billing that we'd given it. You know, first half kind of simmered along nicely it was getting there it was getting there but the second half really kicked into life and, and what a tremendous game of football it was in the end I mean at the moment it is it's the game it's like two tectonic plates smashing against each other when Liverpool and City go head to head like this and there's been a few crackers between them in the past uh, the 4-3 at Anfield I remember there was a one-all draw at the Etihad in 2016-17 that was that was just as thrilling but didn't quite get the same uh, billing as this one because Liverpool weren't quite at the top at the time um, but you know that game yesterday was everything uh, that we love about the two teams City did so well to pass out the press um, in the first half Liverpool couldn't get close to them uh, second half, Liverpool came back. Jurgen Klopp showed what a great man manager he is, what a great motivator he is for that halftime team talk, come out a different side. And I think the two goals that both sides scored were just so, they, they just epitomised uh, both the sides. Uh, you know, Liverpool's uh, Salah to Mane first goal and then, and then the brilliance of Salah for their second. And then, you know, both of City's goals were, were lovely flowing, passing moves uh, up the pitch. And yeah, it was, it was just brilliant. And, and I, I loved the respect between the two sides at the end as well. Um, so, so yeah, this is the game at the moment. And uh, I know Chelsea are up there, but I think uh, a team that finishes above both Liverpool and Manchester City are, are doing very well. <laughs> Echo in the comments, I think that uh, one of our writers, Andy Dunn, made yesterday in his uh, most match video verdict, wasn't it there? Um, but Aaron, you go back to that first half and I know Liverpool kind of, they came out well when they started, probably the better of the two sides. But as that first half went on, it really was Man City who we'd probably say dominated it uh, towards the end of that first half, definitely. Um, had a fair few chances and you kind of wonder, you know, you probably look back now and... and you're happy enough of a point. If you went to, to Anfield and you came away from a point, as a Man City fan, you'd be happy. But you do kind of wonder, had one of those chances gone in in the first half, whether or not you'd be talking about a nice victory for Man City and how they're probably now the favourites again for the title race. I, I feel City were absolutely magnificent in the first half and, and in the second as well, when Liverpool started piling the pressure on, um, barring a little bit of lax defending for the second Salah goal. I know everyone's selling it, selling it as, you know, this wonder goal where he's skipped past everyone. But for me, that's just shocking defending. Someone needs to nail him. <laughs> they really do. But um, no, I thought City first half were, were, were absolutely brilliant. You know, they weathered the storm in the first 10, 15 minutes. And it just turned into a really, you know, a really complete performance, very similar to what they did against Chelsea. Very similar again to kind of what they did against PSG. City, by the way, have had a magnificent week and somehow they've only won one game. I thought against Chelsea last week, they were brilliant. PSG midweek, they were generally really, really good in the main. Got a bit unlucky, you know, got caught out at the end. And then against Liverpool, I thought they're good. And, you know, City, you know, had three really tough away games, putting three really, really good performances. I just come back to the same point that I always do with City this season. They need a striker. 
like we're saying about these chances in the, in, in, in the first half, we're playing without a striker and with a striker, you just feel like there'd be someone on, you know, running in towards the edge of the six yard box for a lot of these square balls and taking advantage of Foden because Foden did a job on Milner on the left hand side. And, um, you know, someone will be taking advantage. And I think City potentially are going to be made to pay now for um, for not having that striker. Um, Felix, Aaron brings up an, an interesting point that, that was left off the running order, but I think we need to talk about it nonetheless, where he's talking about how uh, Phil Foden done a number on James Milner. James Milner was involved in one of those controversial moments where perhaps he should have got a second yellow card. I know Pep Guardiola certainly felt that way. From a Liverpool point of view, um, and, and I know how I'm phrasing this and it might sound like I'm, I'm trying to get you to be biased here, but do you think he was fortunate to have been sent off or do you think he should have, have been walking on, on Sunday afternoon? No, it was a red card. <laughs> it was 100%. It's a second yellow all day long. Um, I think uh, Foden might have sent Milner into an earlier retirement yesterday um, because he struggled so badly. I was... I, I, was hoping Milner would have been taken off at half time because, um, you know, I, I feared that he was a walking second yellow card and, you know, he should have gone. Um, but, you know, I, I think the referee probably thought that it was Henderson that made the foul. I think uh, that's the only thing that I can think of um, because, you know, I, I don't go along with Pep's uh, view that, oh, it's Anfield, so you get the decisions. I'm not sure. I think that, you know, Anfield lives in his head rent-free a little bit. So he, he loves to to talk it up as like, oh, City are this small team and they go to all these big stadiums and they don't get the decisions. I'm not sure about that. But um, yesterday, he, he can feel hard done by. It should have been a second yellow. City are a tiny team, by the way. They are a tiny team. Fans of everyone reminding us that, you know, City don't have fans. So we're... <laughs> No, um, I think um, Milner had to go. Had to go. I mean, I'm, I, Neb, you know full well that I'm, you know, obviously, you know, into my referee, and I've got, you know, uh, I look at the referee and very kind of analytically. Paul Turney's just not a top level referee, and he keeps getting top level games. And when I say top level, I mean like the absolute elite of the league. And it's, at the moment, he's keeping, he's, he's getting all these big games. And yes, okay, he's pretty steady, but you know, there's a big decision he's got wrong there. And it should have, for me, that should have been a simple decision. Aaron, you know, it's, it's not saying that it's probably connected to the game, but in terms of referees, and she said there's someone, you know, it's an area of the game that you're particularly quite keen on. Is there a lack potentially then of high-class referees within the English game so that, you know, kind of when it does come to these big games, it kind of should always be Michael Oliver then, or, you know, like there's not, there's not that many to, to kind of pick from when it does come to these big games. No, I, I listen. I, I think regardless of who you know we appoint, you know these very, very you know top level games, there's going to be questions asked. I just think at the moment they're making one or two dodgy appointments. I think they're over promoting a couple of referees who are probably not good enough. There's there is definitely one or two referees in the Premier League list in this year that aren't good enough. Um, but we've got to remember that we have some of the best referees in the world. As much as people want to disagree with some of them, but Michael Oliver, Craig Pawson, Anthony Taylor, uh, Chris Kavanagh, you know, are just really, really, really good referees. And you wait for them, FIFA see them the same way. I just think that internally, the Premier League or not Premier League, the PGMO are making some dodgy appointments. And Paul Turney on that game yesterday is one that I've, I've got a question. Just going back to the game though itself, um, another player who, you know, similar to Man City really, Aaron, this week has uh, has kind of had a great week is Bernardo Silva. Um, 
throughout the summer, there was always talk about the fact that he might be leaving Man City, he might be leaving the Etihad. But against Chelsea, against PSG, and, and yesterday against Liverpool, he's reminded Pep Guardiola exactly what it is about him that, that made Man City move for him those years ago. And and he's he's almost forced himself back into that starting eleven that he is going to be one of these starters for Man City. He's just had... It's very similar to like Gundogan last season. Gundogan came into last season and just turned into this player that we've just never seen before. And Bernardo's kind of doing the same. And we've always known Bernardo has had, you know, you know, uh, you know, good performances up his sleeve, but the consistency of the quality that he's putting in this season is just absolutely absurd. I've never seen anything like it from him, you know, in the years he's been at City. Um, I'll be honest, I'd have been more than happy if City sold him in the summer, which yeah, I know it sounds a bit, a bit brash, but the way City were playing, with Grealish coming in, I just thought he's not going to get much game time and, you know, we can either make some money for him or it'd be, you know, a good bargain until to get Harry Kane. And um, I think he's just, I don't know, it's almost like the speculation has woken him up a little bit. Um, but City have got a knack of doing this with players. I mean, last last year we had Cancelo, Zinchenko, John Stones, who we, we probably all would have looked at and gone, City, you know, are happy to sell them. And then they come in and just have, you know, barnstorming seasons. Um, so I don't know whether that's credit to Pep, you know, getting the best out of these players who think they're on the way out. But um, Bernardo has just been been brilliant and long may it continue. Felix, in terms of Liverpool's team selection yesterday, perhaps one of the more contentious uh, ones was Diogo Jota starting up front in place of Roberto Firmino. I know he came into the game in good form, obviously did well the previous week against, uh, against Brentford as well. But when it comes to the big games for Liverpool, he's not necessarily showing it yet whereas someone who, who has performed Liverpool in big games in the past is Roberto Firmino so do you kind of think maybe Jurgen Klopp got that one wrong a little bit even though Jota was in good form that, that the man for the big occasion is maybe Firmino instead um, I think it's tricky because uh, Jota's been uh, sort of in great form Firmino has been very much um, hot and cold this season um, and, and most of last season as well. So I can understand why he picked Jota. I think that the main difference between the two is um, when Liverpool are playing a team that like to have a lot of the ball, like Man City, what Firmino does very well is he drops into midfield and and presses from sort of the blind side. And we often he often wins the ball back a lot like that. And um, that can be really helpful when you're playing against a team who has a lot of the ball and your, your game is to press. Um, Jota is much more likely to run in behind and make clever runs and um, be, you know, more of a, a, a traditional number nine almost. Um, so, so yeah, probably against City, Firmino might have been the better option, um, given the fact that City are, are such a, a ball-playing team. Um, but I can understand why he picked Jota. And, and when Firmino came on, he, he didn't make that much of a difference, you know, um, so, so yeah, it, it's one of those things. I, I, I don't know how much of a difference in the game it would have made, um, but maybe, you know, when we go to the Etihad, maybe Firmino will, will get that starting berth um, instead of Jota. Aaron, something that Felix has already picked up upon uh, is Phil Foden's performance yesterday. In, in, in Felix's own words, saying that he put James Milner into an even earlier retirement, potentially. Uh, joint man of the match. That's something that we really shouldn't get into, is it? About that whole joint thing. But uh, a really strong display from Phil Foden. And he's you know, showing that he's, he's really starting to get back to the form that he had last season after a, a slow start to his campaign because of injury. Yeah, he's um, he's just looking like a phenomenal talent, more and more so, like all the time. It it was his best performance of the season so far. I know he's not played played too often, but 
he's just got confidence. And then, I mean, I know he's been oozing with confidence for a couple of years now when he's come on, but he just looks like a complete player now. He's, I mean, you've got to remember how young he is as well. Like, you know, he's just hitting different levels and he's so exciting to watch. So positive. Everything he does, he wants to go forward. It's very rare that, you know, he, he gets the ball and passes it backwards or sideways. Wants to take people on. He's just, Aladdo absolutely loves what he's doing and a joy to watch. And I've no doubt he's going to become a City legend in years to come, providing that something doesn't go wrong and he doesn't end up at Real Madrid or, I mean, he's not going to end up at Barcelona in the state there currently, is he? But I mean, you know, providing that something like that doesn't happen. Um, just an unbelievable talent and, uh, and a joy to watch every week. Gentlemen, I, I think I'd be right in saying here that, that we're sat here and we're probably all thinking that the Premier League title winner is going to come from Liverpool or Man City. Um, but neither of them are, are currently top of the table. Of course, that, that honour goes to Chelsea. I'm one against Southampton, battled against the 10 men. Eventually, half path blew their way down uh, to get a 3-1 win, came back from a difficult week uh, for, for the Blues, obviously losing to Man City last week, losing in midweek against Juventus. Um, Felix, it's, it's the result that they really needed, wasn't it, going into this international break to prevent it being... You know, it didn't matter how Chelsea won in the end. They needed that win just so that it wasn't a, a long two weeks between now and, and their next Premier League match. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, anything other than a win would have been very damaging um, against Southampton. I thought that the red card against James Ward-Prowse was a little harsh. Um, but, you know, I think that that's the way they're going with these, uh, with, with deciding what's a red card or not. I think... Within the laws, it probably is a red, but for me, it massively changed the game. And I think it's a shame that, you know, what a tackle like that should change the game that much. Um, but yeah, it's good for them. It, it, they, they needed the win, definitely. I think that their best bet of winning the title is to just win every game against everyone who is not Liverpool, Manchester City, and Manchester United, because they've already dropped three points at home to Man City. Anfield, they got a decent point, to be fair to them. But I think in those games, I think that they lack a little bit of something. I think Liverpool dominated them when they played at Anfield. City deserved the win last week. Um, so they need to find, if, they are, if, if they're not going to beat every other team, they need to find something different in those big games and that's what would win them the title. But, you know, at the moment they are top, a top after seven games and uh, that's all that they can do. There's another team that a few others, Aaron, have been putting into the title mix at least. Um, you know, you're, you're from the blue side of Manchester, but from the red side of Manchester, Man United have been talked about as being potential title uh, challengers this season, but doesn't really seem to be going that way for them at the minute. 1-1 against Everton at the weekend, a very, very inconsistent, if we're being polite to them, uh, September uh, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's men. All's not well at Old Trafford by the looks of it as well with, with Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, reaction at the end of the match to um, just just kind of try and, try and sum up Man United season so far and whether or not you think that they are, that we should be thinking about this as a three-horse title race or a four-horse one. It's glorious to watch, isn't it? And kind of watching football. <laughs> I think one of one of the finest things I love in football is watching Man United fans turn into you know turn into panic because things aren't going their way. Um, it's it's a weird one, really. They're, they're not playing well enough. 
Um, that, that's the top and bottom of it. And if they keep on playing like this, they're not going to be anywhere near title contention. Um, I personally don't think it's an only problem. I think, yes, his Solskjaer is not an elite level manager, but I, I just think, you know, mentally they've still got enough players who are just not quite there. I think... <laughs> It's just, you know, there's discontent all over the place. There's uncertainty with even some of their talents. People like Mason Greenwood doesn't know where he's coming or going each week and that'll be playing on his mind. Um, Marcus Rashford won't know when he'll get back into the team. Um, Cavani, I mean, I, I, I'm sure he's, you know, a top pro, but, you know, having people like that, you know, not really knowing whether they're coming or going, you know, he's going to be really, really unhealthy and, yeah, you can add in Cristiano Ronaldo as a, you know elite mentality, but I mean that didn't stop Juventus from finishing fourth in Serie A last season, you know, and almost dropping out of the Champions League places. You know, Ronaldo will score goals, but you know the the, the reliant and the desperate for him at the moment. Um, centre midfield is, is abysmal for them. Uh, McTominay's bang average, Fred's, Fred's bang average, Matic's bang average. Um, how on earth they couldn't see that they needed to strengthen in the middle of there? I have absolutely no idea. Um, I just, I just honestly don't think the title contenders, and that's, I mean, possibly with a little bit of bias in there because I don't want to see them <laughs> win the title. But um, I, honestly, I just think they've got, I mean, they've got a number of problems in in and amongst, you know, little bits of quality. They've got enough to finish top four, I, without a doubt, but I, I, I can't see how they're going to be close at all. Can I, uh, can I jump oh, in there? I was going to come from one biased uh, opinion yeah. on Man United and City fans to a Liverpool fan. Oh yeah, this is another bias to pick that. But I, I think I, I think I'm, I think it's worrying for them because they they played West Ham, who didn't have a Antonio, scraped a win, very lucky. I mean, West Ham missed the last minute penalty. They then played Aston Villa at home, who didn't have uh, Bailey or Buendia. Um, Tuanzebi couldn't play either. Who's been playing for them? Um, lost. They then played Everton, who don't have Calvert Lewin or Charleston or Coleman. And they drew, I mean, they, they've, they've had sort of almost everything go for them. You know, West, play West Ham without Antonio. You, if you could pick one player not to play, you pick him. If you could pick one player for Everton not to play or two players, you pick DCL Richarlison. I mean, they're, they're struggling. I think they've played six games, which you look on paper and think you could have won or seven games, uh, could have won all of them. And um, and they're, they're, they haven't, and I think they've missed a big opportunity. The one thing I would say is that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has this habit of managing to get Man United on on a run of wins, and if they do the same as they did last year, where they managed to win, I think it was like nine in a row over Christmas and into New Year, um, then suddenly they'll become title contenders again, and. Um, and I think maybe that's what he's going to have to count on is that he can get some momentum because uh, they've certainly missed an opportunity in the first stage of the season, I think, because like I say, I feel like they've had, they've had a lot go for them and they haven't taken advantage of it. I think Ollie really, really needs to give him a proper big kick up the backside. He needs to get that, you know, his old hairdryer out because they're just not working hard enough. When, when I said that the mentality is not there, just look at Everton's goal. They're walking back. They're not sprinting. They're not working hard enough. It's like there's an air of complacency about them that, oh, we've got Ronaldo now. We'll be fine. We're a big club. You know, things are going well. And they're just not working hard enough. And honestly, I, I, if I'm social, I'm on the phone to Fergie and I'm saying, what do you do in this situation? And I'm pretty sure Fergie would say, you know, we, you need to give them a, a rocket up the backside because they, um, quite frankly, they're, they're not playing well enough. They're, um, they're not working hard enough. And at the moment, 
it's they're really suffering for it. You do wonder if we're ever yeah, not I mean, social as you know, as maybe as I've said to you before too now, too but I have a little touch of it. And the coaching soft spot is spurs, so as well, there isn't it's that. good to see them back to you winning ways. Um, back to old traffic, I, I you know? want Nuno to succeed. <laughs> he seems like a really genuinely nice guy. Um, um one manager who and was under pressure, who managed to get like someone who, that he, if he you give him time, like could get, get the best the out of the players. Uh, with Nuno or at the team, Santos, rather. I mean, the way he, he talks in his press conferences, it's always from a team perspective. Um, Felix, Anytime anyone asks him about an individual, he says, no, it's, like it's about the team, it's whether the team's playing well. I've been asked about Harry Kane a few times, and he says, it's the team's job to create chances for Harry Kane to allow him to score. Um, but I, I like that, that result really just about him. I like the fact that almost quiet compared, people have said he's at least, oh, Mourinho light, but that's the complete opposite of Mourinho. Mourinho purposely bigged up Kane and Son, probably to the detriment of, of other players in the team. Um, Nuno's more about we're a unit and we do things together. And yeah, it was good to see them back to winning ways. Villa are a good side. So it's a good win and the, the players should take confidence from the fact that they can come off the back of three pretty horrible defeats and, and beat a team as strong as Villa. And it could have been more convincing. I think there were a couple of chances at the end that could have made it three, one. Um, but yeah, two good teams and Tottenham come out the right side of it and they'll have to hope, build on that and, and try and try and build on that to, to push for top four because they, they've got they've got a team that can push for top four. They can push the like you know as we were just saying United have, have not taken advantage of some uh, some good circumstances. They could push United if if they can perhaps just believe in themselves a bit more. I think that's maybe what they lack is is belief. And uh, hope, hopefully yesterday they they can use that to to. to gain some of that belief. Aaron, the weekend as well, we saw the first managerial sacking of the season. Uh, Cisco Munoz being let go by Watford. Watford are always going to do that, aren't they? Watford are always going to Watford aren't they? when they're in the Premier League. You know, kind of not not really doing too badly by, by all accounts. You look at some of the other teams, there are still a host of teams without a win this season that you kind of think maybe they could have been the ones to, to kind of shift their managers on first. But... Watford have always had this kind of hire and fire uh, policy going on there and, and Zisco is just the latest to fall by the wayside. Yeah, uh, Zisco, but I know absolutely nothing about him. That's how quickly in and out he's, he's there. Honestly, I couldn't tell you a single thing about him. But what I would say is that Watford fans weren't disappointed. If you look at all the comments on Twitter, Watford fans were like, yeah, fair enough. You know, it's the right decision. Um, so something's not quite there, despite, you know, them making an okay start to the season, I think, for a new, newly promoted team. Um well, I saw an interesting tweet about kind of the Watford regime um, yesterday, and it was outlining kind of what Watford's finishing positions and what they've done pre the Pozzo ownership to what afterwards. And you have to say, yes, we see it as absurd. And fans of other clubs, you know, people like us probably look at it and go, what on earth is going on at that club? But they are in a phenomenally better place in terms of the football pyramid under his stewardship than they were before. And I don't know quite how bad the ownership was before, but if I'm a Watford fan, I look at where they finished, you know, in, across the, you know, the Premier League and the, in the Championship over the past um, kind of, you know, eight or nine years or whatever it's been. I think you take it. I, th- I, I think that the finishes have been really good. And I think you've possibly got to back the owner. And I never, th- I never thought I'd say this because I'm not really one who likes, you know, hiring and firing, but 
it's working compared to where they were before. It's working. Um, if it is Claudio Ranieri who comes in, though, I mean, I've got, I've got, I'll be honest, I've got to ask questions. Yes, he did, you know, the Leicester title triumph, but my gut instinct just says that's um, that, that's a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, Felix, I know that we had that, that similar chat, didn't we, uh, just off air before we came live this morning about Claudio Ranieri and his and his interesting uh, recent CV. Uh, you know, what was it before he got the Leicester job sacked as Greece manager because he lost to the Faroe Islands, which takes some doing. Um, didn't really do any good at, at Fulham when he was last in the Premier League a couple of seasons back. You look at the jobs that he's had in Italian football as well. Um, didn't really set it on that with, with Sampdoria, among others. It's a it's an interesting appointment and, and we'll probably be sat here in six months talking about another Watford sacking and, and another person coming into the hot seat. I mean, I suppose this is the advantage to their system is that they can take a risk like Ranieri and if in six months they end up sacking him, no one's really going to, you know, they're not going to take too many headlines because we've, we've been there before. We Like you say, Watford going to Watford. We know that they might sack him in six months so they can take the risk on Ranieri and, you know, you never know. It could be another Leicester. Um, seriously doubt it, <laughs> but you never know. So you might as well take the risk. Uh, they can always get Sam Allardyce in in February if they need to. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's a bit of a depressing thought for any Watford fan already, isn't it? To, to end this show on the idea of Sam Allardyce coming in and, and all this nice football that they may have been playing under Zisco and possibly under Vanier, it goes out the window. <laughs> Um, but gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Really appreciate your time. Uh, of course, you can keep across all the latest news in the Premier League uh, on the Mirror, the Star and the Express. Uh, it is an international week. So, of course, you can keep across all the latest from the England camp as well across the same three sites. But for now, uh, it's goodbye. <laughs>